0: You're listening to VC Land, a podcast featuring leading VCs and investors who take us through their investment strategies, portfolio companies, what they like to look for in founders, sectors that are hot, what makes them finally invest, strategies for exit, whether companies should stay private or public, and tips and tactics for companies looking to work with VCs. Welcome to VC Land. My guest today on VC Land is Phil Maul, leading investor, entrepreneur, founder, mentor, startup guru. He wears a lot of hats. Phil Maul from Main Sequence Ventures. Welcome to VC Land. It's great to be here, Justin. Thank you for having me. Phil, tell us about Main Sequence Ventures. So Main Sequence Ventures... uh was
1: founded three and a half years ago from a federal government initiative, which was answering the question, how can we do a better job at transforming more of the world-class top 1% research that comes out of Australia into globally significant Google-scale companies? And one of the ideas that came out of that was that a venture capital firm focused on R and D and moving that into companies would be an interesting idea and with that hypothesis the government put in 100 million dollars to the csiro and who then hired the rest of us to to raise another 140 million so our first fund was 240 million dollars focused on this mission of transforming research and we've custom built a venture capital fund to be very good at doing just that job, and yeah, and you know we were right the 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 hypothesis that there was a problem to solve here and venture capital could solve it uh was was a good observation. it's playing out in what we do with the fund, and as more venture capital gets into deep tech, it's uh leading to some interesting times
0: for the Australian startup ecosystem. So, what would you say the specialty of the fund is? You mentioned deep tech. Is is that what it is? Deep tech. Yeah,
1: our, our, we we call it deep tech. It's a kind of it's a new word that people wonder what it means sometimes. But how we define it is companies that have a strong scientific core to them, something that's been uniquely discovered by the founders through some kind of research uh, that may be inside. A research organization or it may be happening outside there's nothing to say these these companies need to be part of CSIRO or part of a university um, but as part of our investment the companies end up working with a university or CSIRO or a rural development corporation or a CRC um, and um, and I guess that's the sort of magic it's sort of how do we unlock that uh, that that value that's inside the cookie jar of Australian research so every one of our deals has that
0: uh, that component and who's on the team at main sequence ventures so on the team uh, we've got a great
1: group of uh, partners who are all all delivering a different aspect of what it takes to to, to grow a deep tech uh, venture firm. I think one thing that bonds us all is for for one reason or another, we had all been attracted to deep tech for the five to ten years before we formed Main Sequence and had been working together on and off on shared projects before that time, including with the CSIRO. But then within that, we've all got very specific skills. So Bill Barty and Mike Zimmerman, are two long-standing venture capital leaders in Australia. They've, they've defined the Australian venture capital uh, community in many ways, and um, and have very rich global investor networks to support their their sort of nerdy love of of, of, of deep technology. Um, uh, we have Martin Dersmer, who was formerly uh, CTO at Citrix and is, um, and is a very experienced uh, enterprise new venture kind of person that helps us to understand how our companies need to work together and how they work together with, with large enterprise. And, and Martin, for, for many years, has been a, an angel investor and an LP in other funds as well, so he's, um, you know, he understands kind of what needs to be done. Um, and then Mike Nichols and I, we kind of have the we have the pedigree of designing and building accelerators um, for research organizations and other other programs. So we're kind of, you know, we're we're kind of in the in the weeds working with founders. Doing okay. the work, figuring out what has to be done, and we help companies get started. So that's the sort of that's the sort of core
0: partner team at Main Sequence. And what are some of the businesses that you have in your portfolio of clients? So we work
1: across a number of themes, um, and that's not to say that we only invest within these themes. But we that we're very excited because we think they're super relevant to our times, uh, and our themes are. Humanity scale healthcare, how, that, that is how can we deliver better, higher volume health delivery to the citizens of the world uh, without, you know, without putting up the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, we have feeding 10 billion people, which is how do we make twice as much food with half the planet. We have a space and transport theme um and uh which is kind of rocket companies uh autonomous driving companies we have a new society theme which is about how do we actually help humans keep up with everything that's happening to the world because of the technology we're investing in and other themes. and then finally we have an exponential machines theme which is everything that sort of helps us go faster, bigger, better, stronger, which is everything from quantum computing to um, satellite communication networks, next-generation Wi-Fi sensors, automation, that kind of thing. So some companies within this um, would be, probably our most famous company at the moment is V2 Food, which came out of the feeding 10 billion people uh, theme. Yes. And yeah, you know, when you ask the question, how do we make twice as much food with half the planet? Um, you know, meat is uh, animal meat is something we're eating more and more of as humans. Um, not 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 only in terms of more people, but each person's eating more meat. Mm. Um, and it's the it's the hardest one to scale with animals, um, and we've kind of already run out of planet there. So we said, could we start? Uh, A plant-based meat company and could we make one as great as companies like impossible foods we brought we brought together the csiro science teams uh hungry jacks of burger king to to give us access to the market and the and the supply chain and we put in risk capital and that was the beginning of the company and that's now you know multi-hundred million dollar company after just a year and a half wow Uh, and it's an example of of the kind of unique way that we work, so we've been able to bring together those different uh, components to make something that works powerfully as a whole uh, from from the unique context that we have as a fund. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, we have uh, Q Control, which is a quantum computing company which we mm-hmm. uh, caused to spin out of uh, well, it didn't exist actually to spin out. We 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 worked with an amazing scientist called Professor Mike Beerchuk, who is a professor of quantum physics at Sydney University. And the initial bit of work there was just trying to understand what's happening in what's happening in quantum computing. Is it, is it making the transition out of the lab towards being a commercial reality now and is now the time for venture to get involved. And that led to the understanding that quantum computers are um they're quite fragile. They're literally constructed with atoms and particles of light. So the world kind of acts upon them <laughs> and the whole computer kind of collapses yeah. before you can do a computation. What what um what my Beatrix company, Q Control, does is it it stops that decoherence happening and it, it basically keeps that computer held together and stops the errors kind of coming in and the whole computer falling apart. So the, the really simple way of describing what they do is they they make quantum computers usable sooner
0: and they're sort of very accelerating the emergence of quantum computing here in Australia. And I, I, I know CoView is one which is... Um... On the up, revolutionising telehealth. Well, I mean that's a, that's an example
1: of a of a company which was terrifically well placed when this terrible world of COVID nineteen hit us exactly. all in March. Um, Coview, we span out of the CSIRO two and a half years ago. Um, the team had made a world class. For purpose, uh, way of clinicians and patients connecting over the internet, uh, which is so much more than sort of Zoom for healthcare, which people often think it is. Uh, there's some yeah. very unique requirements in the healthcare environment, not, you know, um, including the very basic reality of how do you cope with doctors being late. Your appointment, which I think we can all agree is a common <laughs> experience. Um, and so, how do you, you know, how do you manage that whole workflow of a of a practice around uh, people visiting remotely? And it's that's one of the many things that CoView does terrifically well. Um, they had built a brilliant, sustainable business before COVID hit. Before that moment, the the healthcare systems of the world, frankly, not just Australia, were still resisting digital, remote healthcare. um, uh, In you know, and just sort of sticking to the habits of the past. But of course, when COVID hit, we needed infrastructure uh, in Australia to be able to do that. Like if you if you imagine it as physical practices, we needed another. You know, few tens of thousands of consultation rooms, which weren't physical, so that patients could be seen, and so that doctors, frankly, didn't go out of business because you know most 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 medical um, practices are small businesses, which mm, yep. it just 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 like if you're a hotel or a bar, it's a problem if people aren't coming. Um, you need know, the punters coming through the front. You door. do you do so 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 Coview went from you know hundreds of consultations a day to tens of thousands of consultations a day within the space of 2 weeks and it's continuing to grow like crazy and uh, and we're only just at the tip of the iceberg there because even though they're doing tens of thousands of consultations a day um, most most uh, telehealth still happening over the phone as doctors get used to it, and so we've got a massive amount of growth to do in that company. Also, a huge amount of uh, pull from customers in other markets like the US, where 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 there aren't um, equivalents of Coview yep. to build the gap, and so it's another example of it. I mean, if you think about our our mission as a fund to help transform great Australian R&D into globally significant companies and where CoView is at this moment in time with the, with the innovation it has as a product and what the world needs, you know, I think CoView is going to be a, a global brand uh, in the next
0: couple of years. Phil, can you walk us through the process of how you and the team assess a deal? Yeah, this is interesting, and and as you can imagine, it is a
1: often discussed, iterated, challenged, experimented kind of yeah. approach yeah. because it's the it's the it's at the very core of what we do as mm-hmm. uh, as VCs. So there's a few things which I think are unique here. First of all, first of all, we have the belief that not the best deals will not be universally liked and that as partners if we if we created a model where there needed to be unanimous agreement in an investment that we would you know we would um we would all meet in the middle and invest in a whole bunch of kind of quite good companies whereas if we if we accept that the best high-scale opportunities are not visible to everybody at the mm-hmm. time that you make the yep. investment, yep. then that's what we should design the system around. So, um, And if you take V2Food as an example, because that, that's been our biggest growth, yep. um, I can tell you that, that there, were, there were parties uh, in, our, in our group who thought it was a terrible idea. i just thought it was (laughs) it was you know it was commodity it was you know it was food it was you know highly contested space etc but you know because of our system it kind of got through and then you know it's 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 working so we say so first of all like most vcs one of us needs to champion and stand for a deal yeah and you can think of that person as a like a movie producer, it's our job to, to sort of unlock the value of something. Is it, is there something there? How does it work? What does it need? Um, and ultimately to be the person that pitches that to the rest of the group so that everyone understands it. And if, and everyone actually believes you that um, you want to spend the next ten, 10 years of your life helping this company, because, mm. you know, that's, that's that's the reality behind this. It's not like we cut a check and then say, "Good luck, send send me a send me more money back in a few years time." Yeah, that's what we, it takes. Yeah, we have we have, we have to help a lot, and um, and so so we have to love the opportunity. So that's that's step one. The really interesting step two is we then need to recruit, if you like, a second partner that okay. will work with us on the deal, uh, support us on the deal, and also play somewhat red team where required because we need yep. to counter the person that's championing it, which sometimes gets us to be a bit kind of obsessive with the opportunity. Have yep. somebody else that's kind of saying, okay, what about on, this? Yeah, yep. that's right. Um, now, that's really interesting because that person is, again, going to have to work on this for Ten years and um and I can tell you that most opportunities in our fund die at that stage. You know, yeah. when one of us says in a in an investment team meeting, Hey, what about this company? I'm really excited, and you get absolute silence from the rest <laughs> of the group. <laughs> um and if, as we get busier, it's kind of that gets that gets harder and harder. So yeah, you know, one tip I would give to your listeners is you know, it's always a good tip, this it's, you don't only have to convince the person you're speaking to, it's how do you arm them with the words and the argument to persuade other people? Because that's the next thing we have to do. Um, then we have uh, the the point where all five partners agree. And And what's happened between the beginning of the process and that process? is we've gone through a kind of opportunity building uh, process with the founders. We've gone pretty deep. We've, um, um, and we've asked questions around the opportunity as well as the threat. So what, what can often happen in these processes is people obsess on risk. And certainly we have to look at that. We're in the risk business, Hmm. but we're mindful that you can kill a deal, you can kill hope in founders, and you can completely miss an opportunity if all you do is say, why is this not gonna work? What can go wrong? So yeah. we one of the actual questions we have in our deal memos that we put together is, what if they're right? So basically we have to sort of describe the world that says if someone's saying, you know what, I reckon we could double the world's meat supply with plants or I think we could increase the usefulness sooner of quantum computers, you know, what if they're right, what will actually happen? What? How big could this company be? Mm. What change in the world could happen? And, and we're thinking about that kind of stuff uh, as much as we are the risk. Another example of that with our unique, enviro- our unique context is we might say uh, um, how how can the resources and capabilities of the Australian research sector make this company ten times more valuable quickly yeah. and um, and it was quite interesting when we founded the fund and we started doing our early interactions with the research system, given how you know science is the art of." of, you know, um, experimenting for the failure. Um, what um, uh, what we found is that the initial conversations were scientists say, yeah, here's why that's not going to work, or here's all the things that are wrong with that that position that this, this company is taking. Yeah. And we've moved that now into still doing that, of course, but also saying, well, how could this, work how could it be more likely to succeed who are the best researchers in the world and the best labs and the best scale-up facilities that this team should work with to reduce the chance of failure and increase the chance of success and we found that there is a delight and enthusiasm in the australian research system to do that so actually having um uh uh, a, a kind of SWAT team of researchers working uh, with us on putting a deal together is extremely exciting, and um, uh, and is leading to some really really powerful opportunities. So deal deal creation as well as sort of deal
0: diligence, if you like. And and how many deals would slide into your inbox? Say on a on a weekly basis oh, to um, you and the team, or you know, every year. Like, I imagine it'd be you know hundreds.
1: It's yeah, it's a lot. I think the last I saw from our CRM, we had done two and a half thousand reviews over the last you know in the life of the fund. Mm. Um, we'll each look at tens of opportunities in any in any one week on average, depending on what's happening in the week obviously if we're if we're in what is often the flow of a of a v c and going to demo nights and you know accelerator programs and things yep. like that then we may be yep. seeing you know um fifty in a week um and and then there's you know there's a lot of i think one thing that's unique about our fund is we we're not just in the business of meeting entrepreneurs with shrink wrapped ready to invest in companies. We're we're needing to sort of prod and provoke and catalyse the possibility of companies that might <laughs> exist over time. Yep. And many of the people we invest in, we've been doing that with for sort of five years before we before we actually invest so a lot of in the the same way other VC funds would be spending time with entrepreneurs we do that and we're spending a lot of time just with scientists um, talking about their work and sometimes that has the value of that scientist saying you know what I'm going to start a company with this and will you guys invest in us and help us do that and sometimes it's To do with connecting a company that we have already with that
0: research and it becomes a
1: a commercialization channel for them
0: so as a vc how important is it for you to have faith or trust the founder of a business and accept their their quirks or their limitations uh but knowing you can work with them uh, as opposed to say what the business is or the potential market opportunity
1: it's it's extremely important um, uh, i I would personally say equally important um, because the i mean if we've learnt one thing about the fund, especially working deep tech, right, where sometimes we're on the bleeding edge with an opportunity. If the market isn't ready, the market isn't ready. And it's, you know, it's really hard to fix that problem even with the most extraordinary founder. So a lot of our work is kind of picking the timing and sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. But you're right, founders are um, critical because we are investing at the early stage uh, and increasingly, we're going earlier and earlier and earlier. You know, right back to causing the foundation of a company, quite in many cases, and then investing throughout the early rounds of that company up to Series B in general. Yeah. And so we're on a we're on a a journey with that founder. We're 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 lockstep with them to help them to to grow the company. So that's that's sort of point number one. It's um, do we enjoy working with them? Is it, is it exciting? You know, and we, we actually have a question in our deal memo, which is, um, would you work for them? And it's specifically that way around. Are they so inspiring that, you know, we would, you know, we would be their employee because it'll just be great work. Um, And, um, and then, you know, we know the business is going to change and what we're kind of looking for is will the founder, or founders be comfortable with that. Are they comfortable with uncertainty? Do they have a habit which responds to that uncertainty with action and sort of gets them quickly to the next the next stream of activity? And um and and you know it's a it's a difficult balance. You know, we all wish we could find this sort of perfect formula for the amazing the amazing founder, and yeah, um, yeah. but there, there isn't one sadly. But you know, <laughs> one of the things we often get asked is, you know, so what do you do with um, all these kind of nerdy researchers, what you know, wanting to be uh, CEOs of companies? Do you have to help find a business centered person to join the company? Yes. And the answer is sometimes, but sometimes. That the most incredible entrepreneurs emerge out of the labs with a with a with an absolute instinct for uh, is that right for yeah. growing a company. So if you take someone like Professor Mike beerchuk I mean, he you know he was a born storyteller and salesman who happens to be one of the world's most gifted quantum physicists. And so that's a, that's a good mix. And so. You know, we invested in the right guy and he's building a great company, great team, telling a great story. Even though his product is incredibly complicated, he tells the he describes that company in a way that gets everybody excited. Mm. Um uh and and so so I think researchers just like everybody else, some people have the entrepreneurial gene, some people don't. Um and I suppose our job as a as a as a fund is just to, to to in general make sure the startup has all the components it needs, including the right skill sets in the right seats, uh and funding it to have the right people and helping find the right people where there is a gap and um and going from there rather than making an assumption about,
0: you know, what the skills are of somebody that's in front of us in that moment. And do you think that there is a good understanding of what VC investment is all about? Well, I think it's getting
1: better. but Perhaps it wasn't so good, you know, five to ten years ago because there wasn't enough VC in Australia at the time. Yes. And so we hadn't, as a community, had enough practice. Um, now I think we we have a... a swelling, uh, super dynamic connected investor community who are taking time to speak to founders to help understand what's important to us. Um, I think where there are misunderstandings we find is when uh, people assume VC is a check, uh and that's it that when I think when, when people think of a VC as a financier singularly, it is that they're kind of missing a beat. Uh yeah. and um uh and when they understand that we are ultimately company builders and we play a role by their side in creating companies, um then yeah people start to understand. I think the other thing that's 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 often misunderstood and it is the is the nature of the companies that we invest in need to be they need to they need to have the intent of the team and the possibility in the market to be very very big billion dollar companies hmm. and and that's just because of our business model. It's not because good companies equal billion-dollar companies. It's because the companies that work best and optimally in venture capital is a company that, A, is going to need a lot of capital to get to the to the point of impact that it wants to have. And as it does so, it will be increasing in value sufficiently so that everyone stays motivated with enough ownership along the way. And, um, and and what that means is that if a company might make, let's say, single millions of dollars a year, that doesn't make it any less a brilliant company. But if that was my company, I wouldn't want to give most of it away to VCs. I'd want to own yeah, most yeah. of it myself. Yes, Um, And so that's a conversation we often have as well.
0: And what about um, some advice for, say, founders who are looking to raise some money but are potentially weighing up their options to do it either in Australia through VCs or heading overseas to, say, the United States? How do you steer them through that?
1: Well, one thing I would say is, that all founders should have a global perspective. And one of the things that's happening today is that because of COVID-19, there is a phenomenally powerful opportunity that didn't exist before, which is people are taking Australian people's calls in a way they never have before. Is that right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, when, when, when COVID hit, I had a very exciting US trip planned. Uh, I'd spent ages putting it together. I had three weeks of meetings with 40 or 50 meetings over the three weeks. It was going to set me up for the year, and I was deeply frustrated when um, my plans slipped through my fingers and I couldn't go. And I said, right, yep. I'm going to I'm gonna still go. But I'm going to do it virtually. I'm not going to ask anybody to change the time of the meeting. I'm just going to basically do the night shift, get up at two o'clock in the morning and take my California and New York meetings Yep, and, and log on <laughs> and and one hundred percent of the meetings happened and and that that has not stopped uh since that time and And we're seeing investments happen. Yeah, we, we you know some of our portfolio has raised money from overseas investors, and those investors have never met them face to face. So this is a great moment of change, which is to the benefit of Australian founders. So there's more that's possible to answer your question. I think I would certainly encourage founders to look for the investors that have the best fit in general and be kind of agnostic of the country Australia of course is benefit because we're closer you know we, we can probably spend more time um, with founders we're more likely to understand the founders network and context and things like that but other than that I would say find, find the right
0: find the right investor regardless of where they live Phil Moore, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Justin.